Adam, if you don't know me, not John, Adam. I know the um, first couple of months in the new job have been stressful, but I didn't realise I'd aged um, that much. (laughs) This morning we're going to just put a pause on the sermon series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, and we're just going to take the opportunity to honour our mums. And I'd like to begin by letting you know that since I became a dad early last year, I've learned the lesson that no one can comfort a crying child quite like mum. When my son uh, knocks, takes a tumble and bumps his head on the tiles or when he's playing in the grass and a green ant bites him and he starts to cry, I can pick him up and cuddle him and, and try to comfort him, but the truth is he's looking for someone else. <laughs> He's looking for mum. And when he sees my wife Molly walk around the corner or come into the room, he almost flies out of my arms to get to her. There's no place quite as comforting or or reassuring as in the arms of mum. And the Bible actually refers to this special comforting role that God has given to mothers. In Isaiah chapter 66 verse 13 we read, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, says God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. God has uniquely wired mothers to provide comfort and care for their children. And this is what makes the scene that we just read in John chapter 19 particularly heartbreaking. Here you have Jesus hanging upon the cross and his mother is there watching on. And she is unable to provide him with any comfort. But what makes this scene particularly remarkable is that though Jesus is in his greatest moment of need and suffering, Though he is not provided with any comfort himself, he actually reaches out to comfort his grieving mother. And this profound act of Jesus is going to teach us some important truths about the way in which God loves us. And these truths are going to have some special significance, I hope and pray, for the mums among us this morning. You see, today, as I mentioned, is an opportunity for us to honour and to celebrate and to thank our mums. Now, the Bible doesn't command us to to celebrate Mother's Day. In fact, Mother's Day, as we know, it only got going in the early 1900s. But the Bible does say to us, honour your father and your mother. And so we want to take a moment to do just that this morning. And to do that, I'd like us to take a little bit of a, a reflection, a look at this scene in John 19. Now, if you were to read uh, John chapter 19 from the beginning, you would see earlier that Jesus had been handed over by Pilate to be flogged and crucified. He'd been forced to carry his cross to Golgotha. He'd been nailed to that cross between two criminals. He'd been stripped of his clothes and had them stolen from him. And he is hanging before this crowd in utter shame and in utter agony. And in the crowd, watching all of this take place, is his mother. Verse 25, we were told this. Near the cross of Jesus stood 
his mother. Now, can you imagine the anguish of Mary in this moment? Her son's been arrested and unfairly tried. He's been condemned and nailed to a cross and he is now dying before her eyes. Can you imagine her anguish? Now, this reality had actually been prophesied about many years earlier. Soon after Jesus had been born, a man named Simeon, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he said to Mary and about Mary, he said, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And in this moment, a sword is being plunged into the heart of Mary. I'm sure she would have loved nothing more than to take Jesus down off the cross, to tend to his wounds, to comfort him. But all she can do is watch on as her son's life ebbs away. And this is what makes Jesus' actions in the following verses so remarkable and so loving. I mean, think about the condition of Jesus in this moment. He would have been in utter physical agony. He'd been flogged, he'd been punched in the face repeatedly, he'd been whipped, he'd had a crown of thorns pushed down into his head, he'd had spikes driven into his wrists and his feet, he would have been in utter physical agony. He also would have been in utter spiritual agony. He's bearing the weight of our sin. He's experiencing separation from his Father in heaven. He's hanging there on the cross in utter mental, physical, emotional, spiritual agony. But in the midst of this trauma, he takes a moment to lift his head, to look into the crowd, to look into the eyes of his mother. And he sees her standing next to the disciple whom he loved, referring to John, one of Jesus' disciples, and the author of the Gospel of John. And he looks at his mother and he looks at John and he says to his mum, he says, Woman, here is your son. And then he looks at John and he says to John, Here is your mother. And we're told from that time on, the disciple, that's John, took Mary into his home. And what Jesus is doing here is taking a moment to ensure that his mother, who at this stage was most likely a widow in her late 40s, which in that society and in that day and age was a precarious position to be in, he's taking a moment to make sure that she will be cared for and provided for after he's gone. In the midst of the most significant act in human history, Jesus pauses and takes a moment to care for his mother. And this act of Jesus gives us insight into two important truths that I'd just like to briefly mention. Two important truths about how God loves us and the way in which God loves us. The first is this. It is that Jesus cares about the small details of our lives. Now, why did Jesus choose this moment to make sure that his mum would be taken care of? Why did he not do it earlier? He could have done it the night before in the upper room when he was with his disciples. He could have leaned over to John and and asked John in that moment to take care of his mother after he was gone. He could have done it later. After his resurrection, he spent a lot of time with Mary and the disciples. He could have then asked John to take care of his mother. Why do it now? Why do it in this moment as he's hanging upon the cross? 
And the answer is Jesus is giving us a picture, a beautiful picture of how God loves us. And that is that God does not just love us in the big things, but God also loves us in the small details of our lives. I mean, here Jesus is shedding his blood for the sins of the world and he's showing us that he can meet our most significant need, our sin. But he's also showing us that he's not too busy, he's not too distracted, he's not too tired to care for the needs of his widowed mother. And Jesus intentionally chose this moment to demonstrate to us that God does not just love us in the big things, but also in the small details of our lives. So let me ask you this. How do you view God? Do you view God as too preoccupied, too busy with saving the world to really care about the small details of your life? Are there things in your life that you would never bring before God because you think that he doesn't really care about them? He's not really interested in them. He doesn't want to hear them from me. He's got bigger things on his mind and on his plate. Listen to what the Bible says to us elsewhere in 1 Peter chapter 5. The Apostle Peter writes and he says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Listen to what he says. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now Peter doesn't write there, cast some of your anxieties on God. Cast the big anxieties on God. You know, those really big things, yeah, you can bring them to God. And he says, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So what anxieties are you holding on to? Because you think God doesn't care about them. God invites you this morning to cast them on him. And God will not sneer at you. God will not roll his eyes. God will not say, oh man, you again. He's not like us. He will take your anxieties into his hands because he cares for you. And this truth has special application for mothers, does it not? I mean, mothers can be filled with all different kinds of anxieties. If you're a kid, just know that you sometimes fill your mum with worry and stress. I mean, to raise children is not simple and it's not easy. And there's no manual. But God invites mothers. And mums, you need to know this morning. That in all of the small moments that fill your day, in all of the stresses and the worries and the anxieties that that being a a mum can bring, God is very near to you and God cares for you. And he says to you this morning, cast your anxieties on me because I care for you. So this is the first truth we can learn from Jesus' words to his mother from the cross. That Jesus cares about the small details of our lives. The second truth is that Jesus makes us family. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus actually had four brothers. Mary had four other sons, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. That's a different Judas to the the more well-known Judas. Now, this leads us to ask the question, doesn't it? Why would Jesus choose John to look after his mother? Why not ask his brothers to take care of her? Was it just because John happened to be near the cross in this moment? And the answer is no. When Jesus says to Mary, Mary, look on John as your son. 
And when Jesus says to John, John, look on Mary as your mother. He is giving us a glimpse into the new family that his death upon the cross will bring into being. And of course, I'm talking about the church, the family of God, the people of God. When we come to faith in Christ, we we enter into a new family, a family that transcends biological families, the family of God, the people of God. We become brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 12, where we read, And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus brings us into a new kind of family. And when we enter into this family through faith in Christ, our entire lives begin to change. And the way we define ourselves, the way we understand ourselves, it also begins to change. We begin to see that the most important thing about us, it's not our job titles or our marital status or our education level or our skin colour. It's not whether we're a parent or not. It's not whether we're married or not. It's not whether we're rich or poor. It's our relationship to Jesus Christ. It's our identity in Christ. And given that it's Mother's Day, I'd like to apply this truth to to women specifically for just a moment. Let me ask you this question. What is God's ultimate goal in the life of a woman? What does God desire above all else for his daughters? Well, the answer is, and spoiler alert, it's exactly the same as it is for the men. God's ultimate goal in your life is to see you transformed into the image of Christ. It's to see you become more and more like Jesus. Ephesians 1, For he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world. Why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Or Romans 8, 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his Son to become more like Jesus. Now let me tell you what this means if you're a woman. It means that being a mother is not the ultimate goal and good for a Christian woman. Let me say that again. Being a mother is not the ultimate goal and good for a Christian woman. Now let me be crystal clear. To be a mother is a divine calling and a divine blessing from God. Psalm 120 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. But the greatest good that God can do in your life, it's not to make you a mother. The greatest good that God can do in your life is to make you his daughter. And when he has made you his daughter, to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. Wendy Alsup is a math teacher, a mother and an author. She's written a number of books and and she also writes a, a blog. And in 2010, she wrote an article uh, titled, For Mums, Former Mums, and Wannabe Mums. And I'd like to to read this article for us as we close. It's it's longish, but I think Wendy does a, a great job at applying the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to what it means to be a woman and to motherhood as well. And so let me read this for us as we close. Wendy writes and she says, Mother's Day is a tricky holiday. Like any holiday, Mother's Day is sweet for some and bitter for others. For some, it's both. 
I remember feeling on the outside, looking in on Mother's Day. First as a single woman, and then after I miscarried our first. It is an age-old conundrum in humanity in general, and Christianity in particular. How do you honour someone who has something good that you want too? How do you applaud the sacrifices of one without minimising the suffering of the other? I don't know exactly, but I do think there is an overarching principle that is helpful. Motherhood is not the greatest good for the Christian woman. Whether you are a mum or not, don't get caught up in sentimentalism that sets it up as some saintly role. The greatest good is being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, motherhood is certainly one of God's primary tools in his arsenal for this purpose for women. But it is not the end itself. Being a mum doesn't make you saintly, believe me. Being a mum exposes all the ways you are a sinner, not a saint. Not being a mum and wanting to be one does too. We may long to get pregnant, looking at motherhood from afar. God sanctifies us through that longing. We may lose a pregnancy or a child and mourn the loss of our motherhood. God conforms us to Christ through that as well. We may have a brood of children of various ages and heaven knows God roots sin out of our hearts that way. It's all about the greatest good, being conformed to the image of Christ, reclaiming the image of God that he created us to bear through gospel grace. And God uses both the presence and the absence of children in the lives of his daughters as a primary tool of conforming us to Christ. Single woman watching your biological clock tick away, I encourage you to look today at your longings through the lens of the gospel. You don't have to deny your longing or talk yourself into a happy attitude for all the good things you can do with our kids. It's okay to mourn the loss. God said children are a blessing. But after the fall, we do not all get to experience that blessing. The gospel makes up the difference. While you are disappointed in deep ways and that disappointment is real, you will one day sit with Jesus in heaven, profoundly content with his work in you through this disappointment. In heaven, you will have no longing for something you missed. You will not be disappointed. May confidence in that hope sustain you. Married women experiencing infertility I encourage you with similar words. People can be callous with their words, especially in the church. But believe in confidence that God in this very moment loves you with a deep love. You may feel estranged from him, knowing that he has the power to give you that sweet infant that he has given so many around you. It seems like he is dangling a desire in front of you, teasing you with it. But understand that unfulfilled desire is a tool he uses to give you even better things. Things of himself that you cannot know in easy ways. Believe in confidence that this time of waiting is not just a holding pattern with no discernible value. But it too is a blessing, albeit in disguise, as it increases your strength to run and not grow weary and to walk and not to faint. Wait on the Lord, dear sister, in confidence. And mum who fails her children regularly, because that's everyone else, preach the gospel to yourself this day. If you have any grasp on your reality, you are likely painfully aware of every failure you've made with your children. And maybe you are fatigued by the fears of future failure as well. It's okay that your children expose your own sin. In fact, it's the mum who doesn't seem daily aware of her failures that most concerns me. 
Christ has made the way for you to be at peace. If you sinned against your kids, ask their forgiveness. If you are kicking yourself for your failures, preach God's grace to yourself. Don't learn to live with your sin. Don't embrace it with the attitude, that's just how I am. But don't deny it either. Be honest about it. You sinned, you confess, God forgives. You get up and walk forward in confidence. It's called gospel grace and that is the legacy to leave your children. See, upon the cross, Jesus Christ was paying the penalty for our sin so that we can come to him, so that we can be part of the family of God and so that whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can get up and we can walk towards him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are near to every single one of us. And you love and care for every single one of us in this room, no matter the situation we have walked through or we currently find ourselves in. And Lord, I just pray that you by your Spirit would do a powerful work in our hearts and that we might know deeply your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have the opportunity to respond now by coming to Lord's Supper. See, on the night before he went to the cross, Jesus was in the room with his disciples and he explained the significance of his coming death by using the symbols of bread and wine. In Matthew 28, we read this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, when we come to the table, and let me invite those who will be helping me out to, to come forward and get into position. When we come to the table and we receive the bread and we receive the cup with the wine in it, these elements represent what Christ has done for us upon the cross. The bread which represents his broken body. The cup which represents his spilt blood poured out so that we can come freely to God and enter into the family of God. And those who can come to Lord's Supper are those who are genuine, have genuine repentance for their sin. Have genuine faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. And genuine thanksgiving to God for all that he has done for us. See, Lord's Supper is not for perfect people. It's not for perfect mums or for perfect dads or for perfect anyone. It's for those who have received with the empty hands of faith what Christ has offered to us. And so I invite you this morning to come forward with the empty hands of faith, receive the elements, go back to your seat, and then we'll eat and drink together as the redeemed, loved family of God. The ushers will invite you from the back to the front. And then you go back to your seat and we'll eat together and drink together. Come church, all things are ready.
As he hung upon the cross, Jesus reached out to his mother. 